Welcome back to Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home Podcast. This show was created to take you from around the corner and across the globe on a journey in search of sublime design. You regularly find amazing people and projects in every issue of Aspire Design and Home, as well as AspireDesignAndHome.com. This show takes you one step farther down that path, sharing the stories behind the stories. In this episode of Curated Chill, you are going to hear from interior and product designer Nina Magan. Magan is the quintessential Renaissance woman. The Houston, Texas-based designer started her career with a focus on fashion but shifted toward interiors because the head goes where the heart takes it. And Nina has a passion for crafting remarkable spaces. Her work is heavily influenced by travel, which has taken her around the world in search of sublime design. From shopping in the bazaars of India or fashion shows in Milan, Magan has crafted a distinct look in her interiors and that of her Studio M lighting collection. Instead of describing the collection here, I'm going to let Nina explain it to you and tell you all about it. What I will say is that it is simply exquisite, and if you would like to see it, you can. Find the links to Studio M in the show notes here for this podcast episode. You can also find links to Nina's website and see some of her amazing interior projects. As you listen to the show, this will give you an immersive listening and viewing experience. Enjoy this episode of Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home Podcast. We'll be right back with designer Nina Magan in just a moment. Now, more than ever before, it's so important to take care of the fabrics that make up incredible design. High quality furnishings are an investment. As with any investment, you need to protect it. Removing stains is easy with Fiber Seal, and the most talented designers will tell you that caring for the fabric is critical to its longevity. Just about every homeowner will tell you that stains happen. Protecting fine furnishings with Fiber Seal gives your clients the best opportunity for success in stain removal. Designers, recommend to your clients that they protect their fine furnishings with Fiber Seal. Why? Well, Fiber Seal is a suite of products, protective treatments, at home care products, as well as superior customer service. And the most popular products are GreenGuard Gold Certified. Each treatment comes with superior service from a company dedicated to protecting your fine fabrics, carpets, and rugs from stains and environmental factors that damage fine textiles. You can work with Fiber Seal for pre-testing before you make your textile selects. They are industry partners of both ASID and the Interior Design Society. So, they understand the needs of the design community and how to care for fine furnishings. Visit Fiber Seal online to learn more about how it works. You can also connect online fibersealnortheast.com and on Instagram at fibersealnortheast. First thing I wanted to ask you about is sort of the the origin. I am a I am a sucker for a great origin story. Why why design? So, um, you know, when I was I was very young, <laughs> and I was always interested in the creative field. I always, you know, loved. I grew up learning Versace and Armani, and you know, um, all these big brands. And so, you know, at first I thought I wanted to be in fashion, and then I slowly realized that it was interior design that I really had a passion for. And so, um, you know, I just, 
you know, I'm an economics and finance double major. And then when I learned about interior design, I started going to interior design school. And then I felt like that was really what where my passion was. I love to be creative. But I think that what the one thing that I have a uniqueness about is that I also understand the business side of it very well. And so, you know, I feel like I do get the business side because it is running a business. And at the same time, I'm in a creative field, which I absolutely love. And so that's why I picked this career. Finance and economics. <laughs> no, so here's what's really interesting about that because, um, you know, as many creatives as I've spoken to, it's fascinating to me. There seems to be like two schools of thought. One is, and I get this quite often, from the time I was four or five years old, mom and dad kept coming home and finding the house rearranged, redecorated. Uh, and it was just something I love to do. Others knew they wanted to do something creative, went and did something else first, and then sort of found their way into design and the magic happened. I think that that's, that that's really interesting. Now, I, I, and I'm also curious because, and I want to talk about some of the other things that you do, you know, creating a line, how how did you how did you decide that that was the creative endeavor, and and was there was there ever uh, an option of you going in a in a different creative endeavor direction? Yeah, I mean, yes, there was. I mean, I really thought that it was going to be fashion, you know. And so when I graduated college, I ended up opening up a European lingerie store in Houston, in the largest mall in Houston, which was a Galleria. And so I had this little boutique store. Um, that and I was selling all this pretty lingerie, trying to think that I'm going to compete against Victoria's Secrets, because at that time, Victoria's Secret hadn't renovated their showrooms or their stores. And so I said, oh, well, I can make a really cute store and I can sell better lingerie, um, you know, and better quality lingerie that's European. And, you know, they won't be able to compete with me. So my plan was I'm going to open multiple stores and all the malls all over the United States, you know, and obviously that plan quickly died when I learned what retail is <laughs> and, you know, working <laughs> right. those long retail hours and, you know, having to open the store on time, close the store on time, going for market to buy for the store, make sure that there was always enough inventory. And so I was 22 years old and it was a huge learning experience for me. And, you know, I thought that, you know, maybe the business of, of fashion was kind of where I wanted to go. And slowly I realized that it's actually not what I want to do. It's very difficult when you're selling, you know, one underwear and you have a markup of 50%. So you're really making $10 per piece. So you have to have a large inventory or multiple locations for it to make sense. And so that's not something that I decided that I wanted to do. And, you know, I was more interested in the design of my store than I was in the actual pieces that we were selling. And so that's when I slowly started to realize that there's an industry called interior design um, because I didn't even know it existed. I thought there was just architects and then that's it. I didn't know that there's such a thing as an interior designer. Isn't it interesting how sometimes you have to go f do the things that you figure out you really don't want to do in order right. to find <laughs> what you do? Exactly. I mean, I think it's the, it's the evolution of life, right? And so your mind takes you to maybe what you really want or what you really um, imagine for yourself or manifest for yourself. 
and it's interesting too to me uh, this uh, this idea of progressive design you know the idea that design stays the same is is it's kind of silly, right? Because design doesn't say, stay the same. We learn new things all the time. There are, there are classics, there's traditional, um, but there's also a new take on, on everything. And that's kind of what keeps the creative blood flowing within the industry. And I, I think it's equally fascinating that, you know, being in Texas, I have, I have kind of thought of Texas as one of these, and I've, I've said this before, one of the design flyover states. Where unless you're in New York, L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, Miami, maybe Boston, maybe Atlanta, design doesn't really exist. And I am finding more and more that there is a greater amount of attention coming, falling on Texas, specifically Austin, Houston, Dallas, because people are starting to realize there is amazing design happening in Texas and it's not, it's not new. It's been happening for quite some time. Do you, how do you feel about being in the marketplace like that and working so long? It's kind of like the idea of the overnight success, right? Like it's not an overnight success. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, (laughs) you, You just decided to notice. Right. Right. And I think, I think this is what happened. Um, you know, in 2013, I got asked to be on a television show, which is American Dream Builders, and Nate Burkis was one of the hosts um, of the show. And, you know, when I, I thought it was really bizarre that why did they pick a random girl from Houston when everybody else is from New York or L.A. or Chicago, right? And so I was on the only, only place that was kind of off, I guess, offset from the other locations. And so, you know, that was my first kind of experience to be with other designers from cities and, you know, how do they think? You know, and obviously I think I was selected because my mindset was very different being in Houston. You know, most of the designers tend to go the more, or they used to go more the traditional route. And, um, you know, the beiges and the Mediterranean, Tuscan type look. And I was one of the designers who decided to go completely against that and do something more modern. You know, and I definitely learned along the way. Um, It's definitely been a process to get to where I am today. Um, And it's been a huge learning experience. But, um, you know, it's just, it has definitely been a progression of a very long time. And, you know, I think going against the grain was something that actually worked in my favor because it got me noticed and it got me to, to hire a very international team where their mindset is very similar thinking to mine. And, you know, obviously me traveling around the world was a huge, made a huge impact on my decision of going against the grain because I was seeing design that's completely removed from Texas design. And for me, I thought it was beautiful. And that's kind of the route that I decided to take. And, you know, I think it's paid off now when you think about it 10 years later where people are seeing that Houston is a very big city. I think Houston is about to surpass or has surpassed Chicago. And, you know, we're a city of 6 million people. And, yes, it might not be the prettiest city. It's not Austin. But it is big city, international city living. You know, I love that when I go to a restaurant in Houston, I'll hear 20 different languages. You know, and so there is that beauty of this city. And I think that we're finally getting noticed. Do you think... That and and by the way, let me preface the, the question because it's important to preface it. 
when I, when I first started doing interviews with designers and architects, I, I used to ask this question and it was based on curiosity and it wasn't a stupid question. It was just a pedestrian question. I would ask, you know, <laughs> what's, what's your favorite style? You know, what was, what's your, and, and I didn't mean it like it's the only thing you do, but again, not a stupid question, but a pedestrian one. And, and it's, it's just, it's too easy. Um, I think there's so much more nuance to it. So with that, does, does Houston in particular, does Texas in general have a style in the same way that California definitely has a, a design right. style? Um, there are other places that do. Memphis is a small city, relatively speaking, but it's starting to develop a design style. Does Texas have a style? Does Houston have a style? I mean, in my opinion, yes. I think that the style is, I mean, you know, the houses here are humongous. <laughs> yeah. You know, getting a 6,000 square foot house is pretty much ordinary here, you know. And so there are these large mansions that are traditional with the pointed roof, um, very transitional. I think this transitional style, obviously the style in Texas has evolved over time. Um, it used to be, you know, Mediterranean, this Tuscan Mediterranean look. Then it started becoming, you know, more traditional and now it's probably more transitional where you have the metal frame windows. Obviously everything is very light and bright and, you know, very comfortable living. And so I think that's really what the style is, but it's interesting to me from a design point of view is that how these builders, <laughs> you know, these spec builders get away with it because, you know, every house looks almost identical. Um, and then, you know, people are buying them. People love them and they're buying these spec houses that are very simple and almost identical and people like that here, you know, and I think that I'm trying to introduce a different style and say that, hey, guys, yes, I understand that you guys are used to this style and this is kind of, you know, what you see, it's kind of what you see is what you like, but I think it's time to introduce a different style to Houston. There are a lot of designers who are coming in into the mix here who are introducing modern, colorful, um, you know, very interesting design. And I think that's really helping Houston a lot. And with that, you know, it's funny because the first thing you said was you don't know how it's happening, but then you know how it's happening um, because the, the builders build them and people buy them. And so there, therein lies the, the, the decision that it's positive and successful because people will in, invest in them. But I think it takes someone like you to apply that ethos, that vision, um, a unique style because there is always going to be a, a curated clientele that will want something different, something more refined, something special. And I've, I've been finding more and more that individuals will take this desire for something special and sort of attach things within the city itself or within the region itself to personalize. Uh, and there are certain designers like you that are sort of capturing that idea. And with that, I kind of wanted to ask you about this new line, uh, Studio M, and this lighting line, when did, there's a big jump from, from, you know where I'm going with this. There yeah. is a big jump from going to being designer and specifying product 
for your designs to being a product designer where now you're, you're specifying in your own projects when appropriate for sure, but then other designers specify your product. I mean, that's, that's a big jump. When did you decide that that was the next logical step for you? So, you know, I was thinking about it for a while. And then in 2017, I think it was 17, um, you know, I was approached, I spoke on a panel at the Universal Showroom in High Point um, with a very good friend of mine, um, Nick May. He was the he was yeah. the moderator. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so he had asked me to be on that panel. And so I was on the panel. And then, you know, I that somehow led into a conversation with Universal from being on the panel. And then, you know, because I was talking about this, you know, futuristic design, more curves, more European influence. And, you know, they have a fantastic marketing director. And, you know, he spoke to me immediately and said, hey, we need to talk to you. Would you be interested in designing a collection with Universal? And at that point, you know, Universal and I, we, you know, we weren't exactly aligned in our thought process, but it took like about two years for us to align ourselves and say, Hey, this is going to sell, you know, let's do something that's different, you know? And I think it was right on time and right on point because that's when CB2 came up with their kind of more modern European style collection. And so, you know, Universal was right there to compete with them and Universal is a huge, you know, mega wholesaler. And they sell to over a hundred retail stores. And, you know, that's kind of where it started that the success of that collection kind of branched out into other things. So now that I had a major furniture collection, the obvious next step was to do lighting. Um, you know, and so that's when I started designing a lighting collection. So just in our office for fun, we were designing a collection and, you know, I said, okay, let's base it off of jewelry. Let's just do something that's interesting and fun and represents us. And let's see if there's anyone who's going to be interested in this collection. And it ended up that Studio M loved the collection with obviously some tweaks um, due to, to production. And then that's how this whole collection came about. Let's let's talk about the difference between design and production, because sure. now production delivery, holy cow! I mean, <laughs> <laughs> how anybody in the design space is getting projects completed is just—it's stunning We're and staggering. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So where? Okay, so where? Where is the where is the lighting produced? Okay, so the lighting for Studio M is partially produced in the U.S. and partially produced in China. And so, you know, I know they they have a pretty good and solid operation, so they're able to get stuff. But again, it depends on the shipping company. So it's not really the producers or the the people who are making this these pieces. It's more of the the delivery is becoming a nightmare. Yeah. And so. You know, it's just, and they're starting, people are being forced to produce more in the U.S., which is increasing costs. And, you know, we, it's, I think that's yet to be determined how, I guess, the retail clientele is going to react to these increased prices. And that's something that I think every single manufacturer is dealing with right now. And, he, and the, you know, pricing aside, because pricing is something that people have to deal with. It is, it is what it is. Right. And, right. and it's, right. it's a, it, you, here's, what's interesting. It just kind of dawned on me, you know, you of all people know how this works with a background in finance and economics. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, yes. and I'm fascinated by that actually, 
So when you look at creating a line, whether it's furniture, whether it's lighting, whatever the it, a product is a product, right? So when you look at the economics of it, um, it's supply and demand. And it's not just you, it's everybody. You know, I was doing a, um, I was doing a piece recently and sort of following this developing story of, of supply chain in general, but specifically as it relates to design and architecture, um, the design space, you know, off the port of Los Angeles, you have 62 ships that are just sort of anchored waiting to disembark. And a month, month and a half ago, it was 49. A couple months before that, it was 42. The average six to eight week delivery time is now 16 to 18 weeks, soon to be 20 to 26 weeks. And then you cross tab that with the fact that currently, as of this recording, there's 154 ships off the coast of China waiting to load product. And so if you do the math and you take out the transportation time, you realize if, if those ships can't load product and we can't offload product, it's not getting here for right. a while. Right, right. So, and I think that's why things are shifting to local. Like we've got to get stuff made here in the U.S. because otherwise people are going to completely go to business. Right now they're losing money. Okay. But if we don't start producing or have some kind of production capability in the United States, a lot of these businesses are going to go bankrupt, you know? And so I think that, you know, when I think I was very pleased to know that Maxim did have some production capabilities in the U.S. Because, again, if I'm doing a licensing collection, there's two reasons that I do a licensing collection. One is for a name builder which I think is very important being a designer. And the second one is obviously for income. And so, you know, if, if we're not producing any kind of, you know, product to sell, then there's no income being made and we're getting a percentage off of every piece that's being sold. And so, you know, we have to, I think it's very important that every designer needs to look at the full picture and the full spectrum of what is really happening. And, you know, before they decide to sign a licensing agreement with anybody, you know, unless they're only looking for name building, which is fine, but that doesn't serve a purpose. That doesn't serve the full purpose for either party. And it's a, you know, this is, this is a conversation. This is a full conversation for yeah. another time, <laughs> most likely. But the one thing I, I do kind of want to drill down on just a little bit is knowing that and knowing how you want to structure your business. And I have heard it from everybody that going local is what's, what's needed right now. And I'm curious in your, in your mind is, is going local a now thing or is it a future thing? And if it is a future thing, how do you structure your business to, to go in that direction? You know, I, I think that there's many things, you know, for me, it's a little more complicated because I spec a lot of Italian brands. And so, you know, we're doing everything super luxury and super luxury is sometimes associated with those European brands, such as the Minotti's and the B&B Italia's of the world, right? And yep. so, you know, I don't know if these manufacturers need to overproduce and I know that they're having problems even producing the orders that they have right now. And so, you know, it is a little frustrating because we are losing orders. Um, you know, some clients are deciding, hey, you know, we'll do the hard finishes with you guys, but we won't finish the soft finishes because we'll go local to somebody who has product in stock, you know, which is fine, which is completely fine, but it might not be serving the purpose of the luxury market anymore, 
you know? And so there's so many different moving parts that have to be considered that if you're a luxury designer, luxury means furniture that might not be produced here in the United States. It could be, and it could not be right? And people are looking for that mix. You know, if you're trying to order something from First Dibs, a lot of those brands are not from the United States. And so First Dibs is considered a luxury market, right? They sell these very unique artisan type pieces. And so is Artemis. They also have the same, same kind of I guess, business acumen. And so, you know, it's, it's, I think everyone has to really reevaluate with everything that is happening in the world right now. You know, some people want to travel, some people don't want to travel. And also part of developing a collection with a company that is producing off, you know, overseas, um, you, there's a traveling aspect to that, to check on the product, to make sure it's being produced exactly how you want it. And so, you know, everything has to be considered before creating any collection with any company. And I think your your point is is well taken. I, I, and listen, you know, you're not going to get Minotti to start manufacturing in the United States. That's not going to happen. Right. But but right. what you can do is get Studio M lighting <laughs> manufactured yeah. if, if if that's you know if that's the goal and if that's the de- desire. And I think what's what's so great about this for you is this is really one of those moments in time where the designer actually gets to take control of the situation. And speaking of that, in, in your line, when it comes to the design of the product, I, I get the luxury side, right? And, and that's an overarching banner. What, what is it you want your products to say? What's the ethos behind the product side of design for you? Sure. So, you know, we are known as a luxury brand. That's how we've marketed ourselves. That's, that is my goal, right? And um, I think that when it comes to the product, obviously, um, you know, there's two sides. There's the, you know, super, super highly designed, more artistic pieces. And then there is the pieces that we want everyone to have. And so, you know, when I did it with Universal, uh, a thing that stood out was when Neil, who's the marketing director over there, said, you know, this is really, you know, what we're producing here is affordable luxury, you know. And so I think that goes with the furniture collection and that also goes with this lighting collection. It's unique. You know, the tagline on this lighting collection is, is lighting as luxurious as fine jewels. You know, the first location that these lighting, these lights are hanging are in the Nina Megan Lounge in one of the most expensive jewelry stores in our city, you know. And so I think that you're really getting affordable luxury where you can have that luxurious look and you're getting it for a very affordable price. And and that's a that's a wonderful combination Um, where so now that. Now that things are starting to open up again a little bit, um, I'm curious where you are most excited to go next. Is it Maison? Is it Salone? Where are you going? Where are you going next? I wanted to go to Salone this time, but I didn't go. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that Maison Objet, I think it happens in January, end of January, February. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I would love to go to Paris and just see kind of what is what is really going on. How has this impacted the world? How has COVID impacted the world? And, you know, because even being here, we live in a little bubble. You know, we only see what we see. And I think it's very important to have that 
you know, universal international approach so that we get a very big understanding of what's really happening and, you know, what are, what are the products that people are coming out with? I think a lot of people are going very, um, you know, tech savvy where, you know, doors are opening on their own. They don't want anyone to touch anything. Um, there's a health component to all the design. And so, you know, I want to see how that impacts the luxury market too. And so I would love to go to Salone. Um, you know, that's something that I'm planning on doing. We're trying to see if Maxim wants to do a little pop-up over there. And if so, definitely I will be there. Love it. And maybe maybe Aspire will see you over there. <laughs> of course. I would love that. Outstanding. Nina, thank you so much for the time. Of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nina. Incredible work. Thank you to our partners and curated chill sponsors for your support. And most importantly, thank you for taking the time to enjoy Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home podcast. Thank you for listening to the show and loving sublime design the way we do. For more inspiration, visit us at aspiredesignandhome.com. Until next time, come back to chill. <laughs>